Hi, my name's Kurt, and I'll be doing our second Bible reading from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars, whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected, if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, for, for this we labour and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Saviour of all men, and especially of those who believe. This is the Word of God. Thanks, Kurt. Uh, my name is Ollie, and I'll be uh, giving our sermon today. And isn't it great that God is still king, whether we're able to meet together in person or not? Well, as we begin, we're going to come before God in prayer, so please pray with me. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you are king, and we thank you that you are a king who cares about us. And we thank you that one of the ways you've shown that is by giving us your word. Uh, we thank you for it, and we thank you that uh, you have spoken to us and revealed who you are. And so we ask that uh, you would be working through your word now to shape us and mould us into the image of your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. What is it that makes someone good at what they do? I had plenty of time to reflect on that when I, was, when I began working as a school teacher. I worked in one of the, what I think was one of the toughest schools in the state, as a public school where uh, we had students suspended for selling drugs on campus, a school where physical fights breaking out in the classroom was a weekly occurrence. Uh, we even had one student who stole the principal's mobile phone and then called the principal on the stolen mobile phone and told him that he'd stolen the mobile phone. And do you know what the principal said? He said, you can keep it because the student's father was an organised crime boss, and so the principal was quite scared of him. It was a tough school to work in, and I, certainly I felt quite out of my depth as a first-year teacher starting off. But one of the things that stuck with me since then is just how good many of the teachers there were. Uh, they were patient, yet firm. They knew their content and were able to teach it in a way that was simple and understandable. And they cared about their students, and not just about the marks that their students got, but in seeing their students grow and develop as people. They were great teachers, and it was a great blessing for me uh, to be able to learn from them as I was starting off, desperately trying to keep my head above water in such a tough school. It was so good to see people who were good at what they do. And isn't that always the case? It's so good to see dentists who can give fillings painlessly, it's so good to see footballers who are skilled even under pressure. It's so good to see engineers who can handle calculations and design things that will last. And it's so good to see politicians who truly understand their people 
and represent them fairly and graciously. It's so good to see people who are good at what they do. And in a sense, our passage today, 1 Timothy 4, is all about that. It answers the question, what is it that makes a church leader a good church leader? What are the signposts? What are the qualities? What should we be looking for in our church leaders? 1 Timothy 4 is essentially a letter from a senior pastor to a junior pastor. It's from Paul to Timothy. And we'll look at it across two weeks, this week and next week. And as we do, we'll see Paul's loving words of guidance to Timothy, telling him, this is how you be a good leader. This is how you be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Now, you might be sitting there and thinking, well, beauty, I can zone out now. I'm not a church leader. And so this is open eye nap time for the next 30 minutes. But actually, this message is for every single one of us. Why? Well, firstly, because we're all meant to be like this. As John mentioned in his sermon last week, in a sense, the bar set for leaders is the bar set for all of us. What Paul says to Timothy here applies to all of us, regardless of whether we're a leader or not. But also, because every single church has church leaders. You can't go to a church that doesn't have church leaders, whether they're paid or not paid, whether there's one of them or whether there's multiple. Every single church has some form of church leader. And so you need to know what makes a good leader a good servant of Christ Jesus, so that you can support them in that. And in particular, as we're entering into this time of elder nomination and election, you as God's people need to know and be well informed about what is it that makes a good leader so you know who to nominate and who to vote for. And so this is for you. This isn't a time to zone out. This isn't a time to let your mind wander, but to be reflecting what is it that makes a good Christian leader. Well, in our passage, uh, Paul tells Timothy four things that make a good Christian leader. And he does set the bar high. Uh, it's been quite challenging for me personally, reflecting on that over the last few weeks and thinking, is this me? Well, the first thing he says is that good Christian leaders guard against false teaching. Paul tells Timothy, there'll come a time when some will depart from the faith from the truth, and they'll try and deceive others. Have a look at verse 1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And now, Paul says it'll happen in later times, but he then goes on to use present tense verbs. And so, this isn't talking about some final end time but rather the here and the now, both when he's writing to Timothy, but also right through to us today. And he says, there'll be false teachers. But in particular, did you notice where they'll come from? See, what's particularly bad about them is that they'll come from within. They were, at they were or at least at one point, seemed to be Christians. Did you see that? He says, some will depart from the faith. These false teachers at one point called themselves Christians. Yet now they've left the faith, they've departed the faith and instead are devoted to false teaching. And how heartbreaking is that? But actually, 
I'm sure we can all think of stories like that, people we know that that's happened with. Now, one particular example that stands out to me is uh, the story of a man called Joshua Harris. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's a Christian pastor and he became famous for writing a book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. It sold over 1.2 million copies and essentially it gave a Christian viewpoint on dating and how to handle dating. And for quite a while, he was a pin-up boy of reformed evangelical churches. He was a guy who was switched on theologically, but also engaged culturally. But sadly, do you know what happened? And this famous Christian pastor, the author of I Kiss Dating Goodbye, instead kissed his wife goodbye and kissed his faith goodbye. He did just what Paul says here. He departed from the faith. And as sad as that is, what's even worse is that since then, he's begun actively speaking against Christianity and instead promoting all sorts of false teaching and false unbiblical ideas. And see, that's exactly what Paul warns us of here, that this will happen. Sadly, these are the days we're living in. Deceit is a terrible thing. And people will be deceived. And people will depart from the faith. And people will begin teaching all sorts of false teaching. And Paul says, good servants of Christ Jesus guard against false teaching and the false teachers who teach it. Those who promote lies, those whose consciences are seared, uh, that is, that they're no longer able to tell the difference between the truth of the gospel and the lies of false teaching because they've been uh, so immersed in those lies. We're then given two examples of what that might have looked like or what was happening there. Uh, Did you see that in verse 3? Have a look with me. They forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. See what they're doing? They're saying that certain foods and that marriage is not good. We should avoid doing it. And see, this is why false teaching is so dangerous because it's so deceptive. It might sound good. It has the kind of feel of holiness, like they're just trying to encourage particularly pious behavior or like they're trying to avoid us being contaminated by the culture around us. It sounds good, but actually, they're distorting what God says. I mean, think about it. If someone like Joshua Harris comes along, then we're saddened by the fact he's departed from the faith, but at least we can spot it a mile away. It's so clear that he's departed from us. But most false teaching isn't like that. It's much more deceptive. It's much closer to the truth. Rather than being at odds with the truth, rather than butting heads with it, instead it just distorts it a little bit. Because isn't that the way of life? The best deceptions are the ones that are closest to the truth. And this is the way that whole churches can go off the rails. They'll never deny that Christ is Lord, but they'll start deviating from the truth in more subtle ways, in little ways they'll start making something else the foundation of our meetings. Rather than being united in Christ, there's something else that brings us together. As was happening here was, you mustn't get married or you mustn't eat certain foods. But there's all sorts of other things it could look like. You must vote liberal or labour. You mustn't drink alcohol or you must drink alcohol. 
you must dress in certain ways or you must uh, say, use certain language. See, there's all sorts of things that false teachers can say, all sorts of little ways they can take the truth and distort it and add to it or subtract from it so that it's no longer the truth. And we all need to be on guard against that, watching out for it. But in particular, Paul tells Timothy, Christian leaders must guard against that. They should point out the flaws with it. And that's exactly what Paul goes on to do. He points out that actually marriage and food are good things if they're received with thankfulness to God. Have a look at verses 4 and 5. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. See, Paul says these are good things if they're received with thankfulness to God. Why? Well, because God made them and what God made is good. And so avoiding them doesn't somehow make God happier. It doesn't please God more. See, as God's people, being in the truth matters. It matters that we think rightly about marriage and about food and about life and about the enjoyment of life. And it's the role of Christian leaders to be on guard about that, to be protecting the flock against false teaching. And that's why here at St. Stephen's, uh, John and I and Michelle and the elders will from time to time point out certain teachers or warn against certain teachers or certain teachings, whether it be avoiding good things that God's made, like what's happening here in Ephesus, or whether it be distorting the gospel in some other way. We see it as our role to warn and protect you and to keep pointing you to Christ. Now, of course, that doesn't mean you shouldn't be on guard yourself. Of course you should. And I know that many of you are. But our role is to protect you because good Christian leaders guard against false teaching. And the second thing that Paul says good leaders do is that they're nourished by good doctrine. Uh, for this point and the following one, Paul uses two interrelated uh, illustrations that revolve around being healthy. Uh, the first here is good food. Paul says that good Christian leaders need good spiritual food. Have a look at verse 6. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. See, Paul wants Timothy to eat spiritual healthy food that is good doctrine good teaching what is this good teaching well first and foremost it's the gospel the message that we're sinners who have rejected and sinned against God but that God loves us anyway and so as the outworking of that love he sent us his son Jesus to live and die in our place so that we might be forgiven see if we want to be spiritually nourished then we need to feast on that. In a sense, it's like spiritual vegetables. Uh, it's healthy and it's good for us. So if you want to be healthy, you need to eat your veggies. That's what we always tell kids, isn't it? We tell them, if you want to grow up big and strong, then eat your vegetables. And in a sense, good doctrine is like spiritual vegetables. They help us to grow up spiritually big and strong. But it's better than vegetables because we might think of vegetables as a kind of a necessary evil. They don't taste good, but we have to eat them anyway just to be healthy. And so we'll kind of begrudgingly eat them. But this isn't like that at all. 
Uh, yes, this is good for us, but it also tastes so good. It's also so wonderful. It's the best news that's ever been. Paul then continues and says, not only are we to eat healthy spiritual food, we're to avoid spiritual junk food. We're to avoid spiritual KFC and Maccas. Have a look at verse 7. But have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. See, this is how servants of Christ Jesus are to excel, by focusing on good doctrine and avoiding bad doctrine. And of course, this is important for all of us. We should all be nourished by good doctrine. It's one of the keys to having a good, healthy spiritual life. But in particular, Paul says Christian leaders need to be well-nourished by good doctrine. Now, when I was at Bible college, we were constantly reminded our learning doesn't stop when we get our degree. No, that, that's only the beginning. Uh, true leaders are lifelong learners. The, the best teachers are those who are learning well themselves. And so that's what we're committed to here as your leaders. We read books, we listen to podcasts, we listen to other sermons, uh, we, listen to, uh, we discuss difficult points of doctrine. Because we know behind the ministry of public teaching lies the discipline of private study. And we recognise that we've still got plenty to learn. Uh, that's why I'm slowly working through uh, this book here. Uh, it's quite a hefty book. You have to cut down a small forest for each uh, copy of it. But it's a systematic theology book. It's a book of doctrine. And in particular, I'll use it when I'm preaching. When I'm preaching, I'll look up what it has to say about that passage and what doctrine is included in there. It helps me to be nourished on good doctrine. Uh, our commitment to doctrine is also why I listen to a podca podcast called Simply Put. I highly recommend you uh, check it out and listen to it. Uh, each episode is about five minutes long and what they do is they take a point of doctrine, a point of theology and they discuss it and explain it in simple, easy to understand language. And it's so good, it takes a complex idea and makes it so simple and understandable. It's a great podcast, I do recommend you listen to it, it's called Simply Put. But as your leaders, we want you to be nourished by good doctrine. And we're committed to being nourished by good doctrine too. And also, we're committed to spiritually exercising because that's the next point Paul makes. He says, good Christian leaders train in godliness. Now, of course, we know this is how things work, don't we? If you want to be healthy, it's not enough to just eat healthily. You also need to do exercise. And so that's what Paul says. Did you see that in verses 7 to 9? Have a look with me. Rather, train yourself in godliness, for the training of the body has a limited benefit. But godliness is beneficial in every way, since it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. See, physical training is good. It helps us. We know that. Take John, for example. Uh, who would have ever guessed that he'd become one of those people who goes for a 10-kilometre run on his day off? Uh, he's become a runner. And so every time I talk to him now and I ask what he's been up to, every time he tells me, I went for a run. It makes me feel quite bad that I don't do that. But what's the result? Well, he's looking great. Uh, he's looking fit and he's looking healthy. That's what exercise does. 
But Paul says, as good as that is, as good as physical exercise is, spiritual exercise is even better. Why? Well, because it doesn't just have a benefit for the here and now, it also benefits us for the life to come. And of course, this, is, this should be true for all of us. We all need to be training in our godliness, working our spiritual muscles. And we need to be intentional and deliberate about growing in our godliness. Uh, so that, that's what we become known for. Think about it. How good would it be if this was what you were known for at work? Everyone at work has the thing they're known for, the office gossip or the one with the loud laugh or the one who always takes a long lunch break. How great would it be if we were known for our godliness, for being patient and kind, for being gentle and self-controlled? How good would that be? But the thing about that is it takes hard work and commitment I used to play football and uh, we did a lot of training for it, particularly over the off-season. It was summer and so it was often in 40-degree heat and we did uh, beep tests, we did gut runs, we did repeat sprints followed by hours of kicking and handballing and tackling and it was difficult. I couldn't tell you the number of times that I vomited from exertion. I couldn't tell you the number of times the next day I could barely walk from the pain of it. See, we know that's how it works. To get physically fit takes hard work, takes pain and commitment. But in the same way, if we want to get spiritually fit, then that takes hard work as well. It'll be challenging and it'll involve discipline and commitment. But that's what we see. One of the things I've started doing, and something you might like to start doing as well, is I've been praying through the fruit of the Spirit. I pray for a different one each month. For example, I'll I'll ask God, God, please help me grow in patience this month. But of course, what happens when I pray that? Well, God puts me in situations where it's difficult to be patient because you don't grow in patience by being in situations where it's easy. No, you grow in patience by having your patience tested. It's hard, it's difficult, yet it's worth it. Because it doesn't just have benefits for the here and now, but also for the life to come. See, Paul wants us all to be training in godliness. But in particular, it's vitally important that Christian leaders train in godliness. That they put time and effort and thought into their own godliness. Why? Well, because it's the role of Christian leaders to look out for their people, helping them move forward in the faith. But how can they do that if their own Christian life is struggling, if they're stagnating, or even worse, if they're backsliding? And what's more, if a minister falls, often it can have a great flow-on effect to their people. One of the most striking examples of this in recent times is a man called Ravi Zacharias. You might be familiar with him. He was one of the world's leading evangelists and apologists, He spent more than 40 years defending the Christian faith. He wrote more than 30 books. Uh, He started up an international ministry organization and there's literally hundreds of hours of his lectures and of his debates online. Uh, He was a dearly loved Christian leader for many people and he played a crucial part in their Christian faith. But do you know what happened? Since his death, uh, a 
few years ago, uh, it's come to light that actually he had huge godliness issues, the worst of which involved sexually assaulting a number of different women. And it's so heartbreaking to hear that someone like that could fall. And we might ask, well, why? How is that possible? And we know certainly his issue wasn't doctrine. He had great doctrine, very switched on. But it's a great warning to us of the danger of what can happen when Christian leaders aren't working, aren't training in their godliness. And one of the things I really appreciate about working under John is his commitment to this. I meet with John once a month and we talk about a whole uh, range of different things. But one of the things John will often ask is how I'm going with my godliness. Are there any areas that I'm struggling in? And it's so helpful for helping me make sure I'm training in godliness, for helping me make sure that this is on my radar, that I'm accountable and don't just let it slide. Because godliness is such a vital, vitally important area. And good leaders will work hard at training in godliness. And finally, the fourth point Paul tells us is that they'll also set their eyes on God. Now, of course, just like the other points, this is something we should all do. As Christians, we're God's people and we belong to God and we live for God. And so, of course, we should all set our eyes on Him. This is true for all of us. But in particular, Paul says for Christian leaders that that's what they strive and labour in. To see people put their hope in God. Have a look at verse 10. In fact, we labour and strive for this because we have put our hope in the living God who is the saviour of everyone, especially of those who believe. See, we have to set our eyes on God because God and God alone can save. Now, you might have noticed that it says God is the saviour of everyone. It's important to note that this doesn't mean that God saves every single person in the world. That's universalism and the Bible speaks against that in many different places like uh, Matthew 7 and Luke 13. And so Paul can't be saying that God saves every single person, that every single person will go to heaven. But if that's the case, then how are we to handle this? What's this talking about? What's it saying? Well, what it's saying here is not that God saves everyone, but rather that God saves all types of people. Uh, the all here means all sorts of people. Uh, we see that the similar idea back in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And what it's telling us is that God saves all sorts of people, old and young, rich and poor, leaders and influential people and those who are not influential at all. See, God is the saviour of all sorts of people if they'll believe in him. And good Christian leaders set their eyes on that and want others to set their eyes on that, on God the Saviour, who welcomes in all sorts of people through Christ's life, death and resurrection. And so that's Paul's message to Timothy. That's what the senior pastor says to the junior pastor. And so then, as you're sitting there today, then what does this mean for you? Well, of course, the first thing that uh, you should do is make sure that this is what you're like. As we've seen all along, the bar set for leaders is the bar set for all of us. And so we all need to be on guard against false teaching. We all need to be nourished by good doctrine. We all need to train in godliness. And we all need to set our eyes on God. And so do be working hard at those things. 
But in terms of your leaders, what should you be doing? Well, I asked them that this week. I asked them the question, what's the best thing our church family can do for you to help you care for and pastor them? And do you know what the answer was? The consistent thing across all of the answers was this. Pray for us. Pray that God would help us be the kinds of leaders that God wants us to be. Pray that God would help us to stand firm and warn against deceitfulness and false teaching. Pray that God would help us to think rightly, to guard our doctrine and our beliefs so that we might teach faithfully. Pray that God would help us to put an emphasis on godliness and spiritual training. And pray that God would help us have our hopes and our eyes set on him, the saviour of all sorts of people. See, that's the best thing you can do for us, is pray for us. Of course, there's plenty of other things you can do. Uh, You can encourage us when we're doing well. You can keep us accountable when we're not. Uh, You can stand side by side with us in ministry. You can pray that God would be raising up new workers and new pastors and new leaders. There's lots of other things you can do as well, and that would be great. But the best thing, the most important thing you can do for us is pray for us as your leaders. Pray that God would help us be good servants of Christ Jesus. What is it that makes someone good at what they do? Well, here, Paul tells us what that is for Christian leaders. Please never stop praying that this would indeed be the kind of leaders that we are. I'm going to pray and ask God that now. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, 1 Timothy 4 and the way it shows us what it looks like uh, for Christian leaders, but also for all of us. Uh, We do ask that you would help us to be people like this. Help us to be people who are on guard against false teaching. Help us to be people who are nourished by good doctrine. Help us to be people who are training in godliness. And help us also to be people who set our eyes and our hopes on you. Please do be shaping us as a church and moulding us into this image. But in particular, we pray that you would help the leaders of our church to be modelling this and to be leading like this. And help the rest of us to be supporting them in that and in particular, praying along those lines. And we thank you that you are good and you do hear our prayers and you love to answer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.